Hello, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Glad you're with us. I was able to be over at our Edgewood and Bel Air campuses last week. That was so much fun. And I, I just uh, really appreciate uh, you all at our Edgewood and Bel Air campuses and uh, appreciate how you're welcoming so many new people in. A lot of energy and a lot of excitement and growth going on at those campuses. If you are at one of our other campuses, uh, you, you are, you're missing something. If you don't get over there once in a while, maybe that's where you, where you should worship uh, every weekend. But I just want to say hello and just acknowledge how fun it was to be with you all last week. So we're beginning a new uh, series today. Uh, it's always fun to start a new series, and this one's called Stretch. Everybody say stretch. Stretch. You can even say it while you're stretching if you like. It's a, uh, a fun word to say. Uh, stretch. How many of you would say sometimes you don't like stretching? Anybody? Okay. How many of you would say sometimes you really do? Yeah. It depends on what kind of stretching we're doing, doesn't it? Yeah, it depends. The fact is, a lot of us do way too much sitting and not enough moving, not enough exercising, and stretching gets to be, uh, sometimes it can even be painful, yes? In fact, sometimes it's supposed to be just a borderline painful, not injury related, but pain. But I don't know about this. Look at this girl here. I think this kind of pain is not the kind of stretching that I would want to do. I can't believe that lady thinks she's helping by sitting on that poor girl. I think that's one reason we resist stretching is because it can sometimes feel painful. Or maybe when you think of stretching, you think of some kind of weird contortion like this, like this guy here. And maybe you think, well, why would I want to do that anyway, right? I don't, I don't want to stretch if that's what stretching is. Or maybe you think of something weirder yet like, like, or like this girl here and you think, well, I could never do that. I'm not capable of stretching in that way. Here's the deal. In order to stretch, in order to be in good physical shape, in order to be in good physical health, you have to stay limber, you have to stretch. And that's why we all kind of do a little bit of stretching just instinctively, right? Like after a nap or you get out of the car after you've been driving a while, what do you do? You, you look like this guy, right? You just all kind of, first thing in the morning... Everybody likes to do that. And that's why stretching, it's as natural as anything in the world. And it actually feels good a lot of times. Uh, anyone can do it, as this picture verifies. You want to start these kids young, right? Teach them how to touch their toes and all that so their bodies stay limber as they go on. When I say anyone can stretch, I mean anyone, okay? And uh, the, 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 whole, the whole reason we stretch, the whole reason we stretch is to get ready to do something. Every trainer will tell you, you know, stay limber before you enter into the activity and then stretch afterwards as well so you're prepared for the next thing. It's a way we prevent our bodies from getting brittle and unhealthy. And what's true uh, physically with our bodies, really when you stop and think about it, you already know this, is true in every area of our lives as well. If you want to grow, if you want to be healthy beyond just physical ways, We've got to learn appropriate stretching. I went for a college visit with my son Andrew this week, and, you know, it's like, hey, it's tough to get in here. How do you get in here? And you know what they said? They said, well, we're looking for students who we want to see when we look at their transcripts. Did they loaf? Did they cruise control? Or did they take some courses that were challenging? They want to know. They want kids who stretch. It's not just true in academics. It's all of life. If there is no challenge, if there's no discipline, if there's no stretching, 
if there's no reversing of the ways that we tend to get tightened up and brittle, then you stop growing and you're not that healthy. Whether it's a marriage relationship, sometimes that's what happens. You know, you, relationships, any kind of relationship, they can get old and stiff. Like you feel when you get out of a car after driving for six hours. Relationships can feel that way and they need to be stretched with a new infusion of fun or appreciation or gratitude or passion or kindness. If a leader gets kind of cocky and complacent. She thinks she knows it all. She's led the company to a certain uh, point of success or something. Well, she's soon going to fall if she doesn't begin to stretch again in, in an area of challenge or, or to get out of that complacency. Vision needs to stretch again and again. Goals need to stretch. The best kind of friends for us are the friends who stretch us in the right ways at the right times. Our minds need to stretch to new understandings or we'll just get old and crotchety. If you want to follow Jesus, it turns out, we also will need to stretch. Are you ready to stretch your faith? Because you can't grow spiritually without stretching. You can't have a close connection to God. You can't have a vibrant today faith. You might have had a yesterday faith, but if you want a today and tomorrow faith, you won't have it if you don't stretch. You won't. And this series is about that. It's about stretching. It's about stretching our faith. It's about stretching ourselves. It's about recognizing the fact that wherever you are right now in your life, and in your relationship with God. There's a place that you need to be that you're not yet. That God hopes you'll go to. But there's a gap between and the only way you'll get there is with some stretching. With some growth. With some stuff that may feel at first, oh I don't know if I want to do that kind of stretch. But in the end it'll help you do stuff that God says you really want to do. And you'll be glad you did. So are you ready? Are you ready to stretch? That's the question. You'll never grow spiritually in your relationship with God until you do. Now, one of the ways, one of the key stretches that Jesus uses in our lives has to do with this area of money. It's crazy. I don't even know why it connects that way, but it always, always does. If you want to grow spiritually, you're going to have to listen to Jesus in every area of your life if you want to go close to God, you can't ignore Jesus' teaching on money. And if you want to grow close to God, you'll have to do some stretching in your faith. And according to the Bible, that's always going to involve how we think about what God places into our hands. So, so you talk about stretch and money. Well, those go together in our minds, right? Because we feel like we always wish our money would stretch further. We always feel stretched and all these people that have their hands stretched out to us for money and everybody seems like they want a piece of the little bit we had. And guess what? God wants to stretch us too and He wants to use money to do it. Stretch our faith, stretch our hearts, stretch us, stretch our impact. And we, and we may feel like those people in the pictures, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. That looks weird. That looks, uh, you know, why would I want to do that? Or it looks too difficult or painful. But it's as natural as a polar bear and anyone can do it, even a cat. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, I realize this before we get started here. We're all over the map on this subject. Um, I, I get that. 
I get that we're coming from very different places. This is an intensely personal uh, subject matter. I mean, there's a lot of us would rather me talk about sex or politics than, than finance because it's intensely personal. And, one, and, and in addition, it's also kind of an area of conflict. We, feel, we have some insecurities about this. We have some privacy about it. We have some arguments at home about it. You know, there's about 50% of marriages in America today aren't making it. 50%. 90% of the ones that don't make it say one of the conflict areas, the top conflict area was what? Finances. Because they feel stretched. And so there's a distress around this subject. And I get that. And we're coming from all different places. How am I going to pay for, for school bills? How am I going to pay the rent, school supplies, new, new clothes, medical bills, kids' sports, car payments? And some of us are in tough financial times right now. Uh, I had a good friend that had to shut down a business just this last week because of the economy wouldn't support it. And yet others of us, we have a CEO or a medical doctor or a successful insurance salesman or something in our midst who are, who are doing quite well and not really wanting anyone to know. And yet we've got a single mom sitting right next, uh, you, you know, just trying to hope that they can get the BG&E pill, bill paid this month. We've got high schoolers who are working nights to save up for, for a car. We've got, we've got young adults who are just trying to get into a first townhome, a fifth grader who, who's just trying to figure out, what, does this have anything to with me and my allowance to senior citizens and saints who, who are hoping the money doesn't run out before you do and, and, and everything in between. I get that. We're all over the map and we're all over the map in terms of how we feel about this willingness to stretch. I have some of you right now who are on the one hand saying, I'm so excited because I have an experience. I have a story to tell. I, I've trusted God with this area of my life and something amazing happened and I want to just tell someone about it. And others of you are, are at a very different place. You're like, will you please just shut up? I can't believe he's talking about this. Um, and, and, and some of us are, are here quite skeptical. I, I don't, all they ever want to do is try to get my money. And some of you brought guests. You're like, I can't believe it. I brought my guests in here today. He's doing this. And some of you are those guests. And you're like, I, see, I told you. I knew it. We're all over the map. I get that. Well, here's the deal. I, 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 realize, I don't know where you are. Uh, that's okay. But here, here's our thing at Mountain. If you've been around a while, you know this. We're really committed to this Viking Bible, okay? The purple Bible. Uh, it doesn't matter what color it is. It's from God. And you know what? We're really committed to it. And, and what that means is we're going to teach everything it says. And, and we, we're committed to, to letting Jesus say what he's going to say. And he has some stuff to say about money. The Bible has some things to say about money. So if you have an issue with it, take it up with him. So I have a little bit of a disease to please. I'll just confess that. I really like people to like me. I, I like it when, when you walk out and you say, oh, that was so inspiring. Thank you. I love that message. And, um, you know, I don't know. I won't be seeing some of you today after the message. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Uh, because I know it makes us uncomfortable. It makes, you know, it makes a lot of preachers uncomfortable to talk about it as well. But you know, I, I've had to come to grips with something, and that is that I'm going to disappoint somebody. All right, I've just, I've just decided I'd rather it not be God. So I'm going to maybe disappoint some of you, but I'm not going to disappoint God. And in fact, I will just say, go right while I'm while I'm in the business of offending. I'm just going to tell you, if you're the one who's most offended right now, or you're feeling most uncomfortable, most guilty, you are probably exactly the person who most needs to hear what God wants you to hear about this. Because there's a whole thing that He has for you that's blessing and joy and goodness that you're not experiencing if you're feeling those feelings right now. So just I'm just saying. And it turns out, money was a big deal. You, um, do you think prayer is something that's pretty important in terms of the Bible, in terms of what it wants to teach us, you think? Yeah, it really is. And one way you can tell is that there are over 500 different verses that talk about prayer. Do you think uh, faith is something that is an important concept in, in Christianity? you think so? 
Yeah, it is. One way you can tell is that there are almost 500 different verses and places that talk expressly about us stepping up and having faith. What we sometimes fail to recognize is that money and our finances and the things we own that come into our hands from God are so crucial and so connected to our relationship with God that there are over 2,000 different verses that speak expressly to money and possessions. And Jesus taught more about money than He taught about anything else. More than He talked about prayer, God, love, servants, service, heaven, hell, any of it. He taught more about finance. He taught 38 of these things we call parables. They're little stories. They were His best shot at helping us understand what's really important about the kingdom of God. 38 of them. 16 of those 38 have to do with our material and financial possessions. Jesus wants to stretch you, lead you, develop you, and... He knows that money is an important subject that gets close to our heart. That's why he's pretty interested in it. So if you want to follow Jesus, and if I'm going to do my job, we're going to, we're going to have to pay attention. We can't, we can't ignore some of these things that Jesus is saying about money and pretend. We can't just sort of live however we want to live, do whatever we want to do, and then slap the label Christian on myself as if, I, you, know, you know what it means to be a Christian? You actually follow Jesus. I can't say, well, I'm a Jesus follower, but you know what? I have a grudge right now. I know he says forgive, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, wait, wait, wait a second, check that at the door and just you, you, know, just, you can do whatever you want to do but don't pretend you're following Jesus and then just ignore what he says so that's what I have to deal with every day and so do you we don't get to decide last week, last week uh, we had this baptism splash out here uh, in, in Mountain, Road, uh, Mountain uh, Road campus we threw up a swimming pool and boy, we put it on the sun just baked it and it was so warm by the time we got in there um, not, it was very, very cold, but um, it was open to anyone who wanted to come and just say, I want to be baptized and express my obedience to Christ through this. I want to be new and washed and forgiven and all that that powerful symbol represents. And when, and when they get into that water, we ask them, you know, what, what the, the implication is clear. Do you really love Jesus? Do you want to give your whole life to Him? Are you ready to love Him, serve Him, follow Him, obey Him, where He leads you will follow? And everyone's like, yes, yes, yes. You know, when you get baptized, we immerse. We dunk them underwater because that's the way they did it in the Bible. You know, all the way under. And one of the cool symbols of that is that all of you gets baptized. All of you belong to the Lord now. So your head goes underwater, which means your mind is washed and new. You can have new thoughts and clean out the old stuff and think new thoughts. Your hands, they go under the water because they're baptized too, right? Your hands, whatever you take to do, your work, how you serve, your family, how you drive on I-95, all gets baptized and is now under the leadership of Jesus. Your feet go under the water. They get baptized too. So wherever God leads you, you'll go. Wherever you go, you take Jesus with you. You want that? Yes. You want that? Yes. Can you imagine a guy walks into the baptistry with me? And by the way, we had 108 people that just ponied up and, and got baptized last weekend. That was pretty cool. So if, if you missed that one, uh, uh, don't panic. There will be another opportunity. Any, any day of the week you can be baptized when you're ready to do it. Can you imagine, though, a guy walks down the stairs, gets in the baptistry, and he's ready. To, you ready to do this? You love Jesus? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then getting ready to baptize him. And then as I do, I notice he's got his wallet in his hand. I think, well, that's a little odd. But then when I baptize him, I notice he goes down under the water, and he holds that, he holds that thing up above the water. And so I'm grabbing it, saying, well, I better baptize this guy. And I'm trying to get it down. He's fighting it up, and we're thrashing. He's splashing because I says, no, not the wallet. What, what do you think Jesus would say to that? I don't know. He'd probably say, he'd probably say, well, I wish you'd trust me with all of you. I thought you were all in. That's what it means to say yes to Jesus. You know, I wish you'd trust me. Let me show you something, give you a story to tell, even with that part. 
So I don't know where you are in your life right now, but I know this about me, and I think I know it about you, and that that is that there's a gap between where you are and where God hopes you'll be, and that there's no time like the present to stretch your faith, stretch your growth, stretch your love, stretch your service, stretch your joy, stretch your blessings. And I don't know why, honestly, there's so much negativity about this subject. I, I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, people react negatively to Jesus. So maybe it's understandable. I mean, here's a free pass to heaven, and His name is Jesus, but people receive that negatively. Everything Jesus told us is positive, you know? Now, it's a stretch. I mean, loving your enemies, it's not easy. It's a stretch, but it's way, way better, isn't it? Serving others. Jesus said it's better to serve. It's better to give than receive. You know, all these things. It seems like it's hard. It is. It's a stretch, but it's better. And it's, when it comes to Jesus' teaching on money, it's the same way. So I hope you let Jesus stretch you. And if some of you still have a pretty big defense mechanism up, an impenetrable wall between you and whatever God's Word might have to say, I just want to remind you, I feel obligated to remind you, that wall didn't get put there by God. And I don't think it even got put there by you because you have a spiritual enemy who very much does not want you to hear what God wants you to hear because he doesn't want you to experience growth or stretching or joy or the blessing of God that only comes through trust and obedience in every area. So I just hope that you'll peer over that wall or let the rubble fall and then let God speak to you and decide what to do with it. So let's start by talking about some of these... Uh, bottles of uh, water we got up here. I'm going to need some help. I need a bunch. Of, I got about 20 bottles or so up here. I need about 20 people. Come on right now. Just come on right up here. Just from the back, from the front. Come right now and walk right up here. Come on. Don't be shy. Get up here. You kid, kid. Hey, get up here. Come here. I need about 20 people. Grab a bottle. Now you'll notice they're in different sizes and shapes. Okay. Um, I need, I need more volunteers. Come on. Come on. Look at this eight o'clock crowd. Wow. What's the matter with you people? Um, grab a bottle, and uh, you'll see they're different sizes and shapes, um, and then we're going to have you sing when you get up here. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, go, ahead. Go, ahead and, go ahead and open it up, and um, th that bottle represents God's provision in your life, okay? Gra grab around the blue barrel here, and uh, just start pouring out uh, something that you think you want to give back to God. Just go ahead. There's no wrong way to do it. Just whatever, okay? So, uh, again, we've we got, we got 8 ounce, 20 ounce, big ones, little ones. Oh, we got a few more bottles. We need a few more taken care of there. So I never thought about this, but I may have to take a little restroom break in a minute. The bottles represent whatever God... Does. Now remember, you've got to have something to live on, okay? You've got to buy your books. You've got to pay your clothes, okay? I forgot, to, did I mention that? Oh, yeah. You can go ahead and take the rest of the bottle, whatever you've got with you. But remember now, you want to give some to God. You've got some things you've got to take care of. Um... Whatever God blesses you and provides you, there's another bottle there. Okay, I'm going to grab one myself. And after, you get, after you've done, you can go ahead and have a seat. You've got a big bottle there, wow. So you're giving back to God some of what you think represents what you would want to give back to God. So the bottles represent whatever comes in every month. Okay, Your bottle may not be the same size as someone else's bottle. This guy's got a big old bottle here. Okay, well, he, uh, someone else might have a little one. Okay, But it's how God provides for you and your blessing. And then you pour into the barrel whatever you want to give back to God. 
and the barrel would be God's storehouse. The blue barrel is kingdom stuff. It's stuff God cares about. It's, it's the Lord's church, the Lord's work, the Lord's storehouse, it's kingdom, the, and, and so forth. And then with whatever we have left after we give to the Lord is ours to pay bills, care for our family, clothes, and so forth. So the question is, what would you pour back into the blue barrel? That goes to God. And what you keep is what you have to live on that month. Now, some of you, some of you, I kind of tricked some of you. I was kind of playing a trick on you a little bit. I told you a little late what the real exercise was. And you'd already poured Some of you were like, oh, it's for God or oh, it's all God. And you just poured your whole bottle into the blue barrel of God. It's like, oh, really? Okay, well, get out your checkbook right now and do that. Right? Uh, figure out how much life savings you have and write a check to Mountain Christian Church today and drop it on the offering later. Why don't you do that? And you say, well, well I've got to have something to live on. Well, that's my point. So the question becomes, how much do you give back to God? It's one thing to pour water out. It's another thing to really get serious about this question. And, we, and, and the main thing is, is realizing that whatever comes into our hands comes from God, and He owns it everything, and we all got different sizes and shapes of bottles. That's, that's just the way it is. But the question becomes, what do I do with it? If you win the lottery, who gets paid first? Some of you are like, well, I, I, got, I would pay off my debts. I would help my mama. You know, Shaquille O'Neal, remember when he got his first check, he said, I'm going to pay off my mama's debt. He bought a house for somebody. That's a stretch question. Some of you would say, I'd give this away or whatever. But the question is, who gets dibs? When, when God gives you your bottle, who gets the first drink? The Bible has a ton to say about just this concept. I want to share it with you today. If you open your Bible to Exodus chapter 13, this is, this is a, a beautiful uh, place where God is speaking now, uh, giving a directive to His people as He's establishing what kind of principle He wants them to live by. Chapter 13, verse 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to who? Me, God. So it's a clear principle, whether it's animals or kids. If you have a child, this is a good reminder, that child belongs to God. Not just firstborn, but all of them, of course. But, but they're all a blessing from God. And what God says is, I ask that you recognize my sovereignty over all of your life and surrender back to me the first one that gets dedicated in a special way. So in the Old Testament, there's lots of other passages I could show you, but what, what, the, what the law was was that it's actually a principle. If it, was an, if it was an animal, it was sacrificed. And if it was a child, it was consecrated. And, that, and, and it's called first fruits, firstborn first fruits. And it, the Lord says it's mine. It's mine. It belongs. Everything I gave you is mine, but I want you to give back to remind yourself about our relationship. Sixteen times this is mentioned in Scripture. Now, um, now according to the Old Testament, the firstborn animal was, was either to be sacrificed or it was to be redeemed. Okay? No third option. Every time you, one of your livestock animals had its firstborn uh, you were to celebrate that and acknowledge God by either sacrificing it to God as a gift of worship and celebration or it, if it was designated one of the unclean animals, 
then you had to redeem it uh, by offering a clean spotless lamb. So if the firstborn was clean, it had to be sacrificed. If it was unclean, it had to be redeemed. Now with that in mind, think about the time Jesus shows up. All those years later, this is the principle they're operating on. Jesus shows up one day in the Jordan, by the banks of the Jordan River. John the Baptist sees him. In the Gospel of John, chapter 129, Jesus said, John says, look, there's Jesus. The Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what you see here is that that is the role Jesus was sent to fulfill. Jesus was God's firstborn son. Jesus was not blemished, but perfect and unblemished in every way. But the problem is we're all unclean. The Bible assures us of that, and we know it to be true in our own experience. We're blemished by sin. We're unclean before a holy God. So remember that principle that was in place for centuries from Exodus when Jesus walks onto the planet. If the firstborn was clean, it was sacrificed. If it was unclean, it was to be redeemed. Do you see the powerful, symbolic parallelism here and how powerful the symbol is? God, Jesus was God's firstborn son and He was sacrificed to redeem us. And the unclean are brought back to God in this way. Jesus was literally God's firstfruits offering. Jesus was like God's tithe. That's how deeply this principle is worked into reality and God's plan. And God, you know, listen, God did this. God gave that first fruit offering of His own Son before He knew for sure how anyone would respond. There was a risk there. He didn't know if you'd say yes or believe Him or trust Him or love Him or give affection or anything back. He didn't know at all. He gave His Son willingly. He stretched And God is not asking you to do anything He hasn't done to a much greater degree. And what He does ask us to do is to give our own first fruit living, our first fruit gifts to God, our our offering of our lives and every aspect of it to show Him that first, off the top, God comes first in my life. Before we see the blessing of God come back to us before we have a guarantee that it's all going to work out. Before, it's called give in faith. The Bible says that the just shall walk by faith. And we say, yes, I want to I have faith in my life, but I have faith, but we always have a lot of buts with our faith. And God didn't do that. And that's not what He asks us to do. We give to God first off the top and it gives opportunity for faith to exercise itself. So you skip over just a few chapters to Exodus 34. Verse 26, again, you see this idea of first fruits. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Everyone in those days was a farmer. That's how you had your money. That, you might as well have just said, bring the best of your paycheck, because that's what it was. You give it to the Lord first. And when you give it to the Lord first, it's never lost. Because it's a way of proving that you're putting God first in your life. Whatever you withhold from God, you're probably going to lose that in certain ways. You withhold money, you're going to find other parts of your life don't go as well. It just happens that way. This is what Jesus was echoing when he said in Matthew chapter 16, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, that's when you save it. So this is the principle of first fruits. You put God first. You say, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to trust you to redeem the rest. In the Old Testament, God didn't say, now, if you get... Ten sheep on the tenth one, give me one. No. 
He said, if your ewe lamb has a sheep, give me the first one. And you have no, you don't, at that point, you don't know if you're going to have any more sheep. But he says, give me the first one. And then just you'll see. Give off the top. It always requires a stretch of faith to give to God first. But that's precisely, that faith is precisely what God wants to stretch us in so we can grow and experience greater dimensions of His blessing. And that's why I think so few Christians experience this part of the Christian life. That's why so many of us still view giving as a kind of negativity because we've not trusted God enough and seen the wow, amazing, and have a story to tell part of the Christian life. We're still worried if there's going to be enough if we were to give God something to drink first. And when you do the first fruits thing, you say, I recognize you're first in my life. I trust you to take care of me. Then you're saying, you trust God. Exodus 23. As you harvest, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. So that you can see again, we're not just talking about bringing first fruits it's the first of the first fruits that emphasis on the off the top what it's the first check you write not the tenth portion the first portion wow that's a big deal and where bring it to the house of the lord that's where the lord is worship where the lord is praised where the lord you know is there where the people gather if that's the local church today Carla and I support a lot of Christian ministries. We support our alma maters. We feel a responsibility there. We have missionary friends we went to school with, many from Mountain Family. We sponsor uh, some children. Uh, you know, there's kids that want to go on mission trips and, and, and adults here from the church. And those are all things we try to find some way to, to have something for. But first and foremost, our first gift is to the Lord's house. And so that goes to Mountain. Because this beautiful barrel that we're charged with sort of dispensing is the thing that's in his economy closest to the heart of God and it fulfills his mission as well as anything on earth. That's why it's so crucial that churches have that financial accountability and that everyone be looking and saying, are we doing what God wants us to do? Because if the blue barrel isn't doing that, then why would any of us want to pour into it at all? And that's one reason I love this church. I love this church. I had a, you know, one of the guys that was baptized in that 108 number, young adult guy, um, came up out of the water smiling, you know, wiping the hair, water from his hair and just gave me a big hug. I don't, even, I don't even remember his name. But he just says, I just want to thank you. This church saved my life. I said, what do you, what do you mean? And he mentioned about four ministries that are funded by this blue barrel that you all pour into. He says, you have no idea where I was and where I am now. And I said, well, don't thank me. You just, you thank the Lord and bless Him and give your whole life back to Him. Proverbs 3.9 says it this way, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the very best part of everything you produce. Are you honoring the Lord with your wealth? Are you recognizing that your wealth is His wealth? And are you giving him the best part of everything that produces? Because what the Bible says here is, then, if you do, it's almost like if you honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce, then he'll bless you in ways that may not have vats and wine and grain involved, but they will be blessings, but they follow obedience. Blessings follow obedience. 
So these are principles that are deeply ingrained. It's not that you say, well, that's the Old Testament. You know, this, isn't, this isn't law. This is principle. When they went in and conquered the promised land, they took, they took the city of Jericho. It was the first city, and all the spoils were to come back to God. Why? Because it was the first city. It was the first fruits. And it's there everywhere you go. Leviticus 27. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to Him as holy. No matter what comes in, God says, give it back off the top. Is it really an act of faith? If, if after I've made sure all the other bills are paid, I give God some portion? And God says, no, I want you to align with my heart, with my will. And here's what it comes down to. God doesn't need your money. Jesus doesn't really need, he's not trying to save up for a Learjet and hopes you, hopes you fill the barrel so he can buy one. You know what? Jesus doesn't need your money at all. But he wants your heart. He really wants your heart. That's, that's what he means when he says in Matthew 6, listen, don't pile up, don't waste your life on piling up treasures on earth. Moss and rust are going to destroy them anyway one day. Thieves will break in and steal. But keep your treasure in heaven where there's no moth or rust can spoil any of it. Nobody can break in and steal. Listen, here's what Jesus says. For wherever your treasure is, show me the money. You may be certain that your heart will be there too. That's why Jesus cares about this subject, because he wants your heart. He knows he can't have it as long as you're holding your, your wallet above the waterline. And there's blessings he wants to pour into your life. And your ability to obey the principle of putting God first, even in your money, is the trigger that releases those blessings. So if this represents your life and the blessings and provision that God pours into your lap, we spend most of our time complaining our bottle isn't bigger. Instead of enjoying and representing that everything that comes in here is pure and given from God. The question is, when you pop that top, what are you going to do with the first sip? You know what happens. The kids are outside. They're playing. It's a hot day, right? They're sweating and there's a bunch of kids outside playing on the front yard. Everybody's sweating and, you know, working. And all of a sudden, you know, they're like, oh, we're thirsty. We've got to eat something to drink. In my day, we'd go over to Jimmy Westwood's house because he had a spigot on the side of the house. We'd put our mouth right down with the bright red dryer vent. And you put your mouth down there and look, 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 look. But I don't know. Kids don't do that today. It's probably not healthy. So, okay. So some mom in a minivan drives by and throws out a water bottle and it rolls up there on the feet and now these kids are all sweating, staring at that glistening bottle and their mouths are parched. What's going to happen? Well, that kid's going to... What's he going to do? Okay, he has a couple of decisions to make, right? If it's you, what are you going to do? You're going to pop that top like this, right? A couple, you, well, you, one, you could drink it all, just kind of like... Look, 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 look. Or you could share some of it, Right? But you still have another choice to make. If you say, well, I would share some of mine, I would. Okay, kid. Let's say he decides to share it. You still have another choice, and here's the other choice. Who gets the first swig? Because you know that matters. You've got a bunch of sweaty mouths all around there, standing around looking at, looking at that bottle of water. It matters, right? So you can either pop the top and take the first drink yourself, which is always a little, when it's kids, always a little longer, because they know if they take a breath, someone's going to grab that bottle. So they just like, oh, go, go. Uh, at, at risk to their esophagus, right? They'll just keep drinking. You can do that. And inevitably, it'll get passed around, and then there's going to be everyone taking a little bit longer drink than anyone thought the other one was going to, and by the you know, three or four kids later, there's not much left, and then you know what else begins to happen is they're saying, me next, me next, me next, and everybody wants a piece of that, that bottle, and finally comes down there to the last kid, and there's a swirl of lukewarm, saliva-infested backwash with particles in it, just a little bit on the bottom, what's that kid going to do? He's going to probably say, thanks for sharing, guys. Throw the bottle on the ground and 
not even drink it out of disgust. My friend, God has given you a bottle. What are you going to do with it? You got the exact same questions that kid in the yard has. You can drink it all yourself, or you can say, I'll share it. But the question is, okay, when you pop the top, who gets the first drink? Take the best for yourself. And Scripture invites you to stretch in such a way that says you will give to God off the top, first fruits, first drink to God, trusting that there will be enough in here to cover whatever else you need to cover. Instead of giving God backwash, you put Him first. How you handle your money, how you make your money, how you spend your money, how you manage it, and how you give it, that's your answer to God when He asks for your first fruits. And some people, you know, we're so overcommitted. Our bottle's like all spoken for. We're out of water before we ever pop the top. We can't afford to give God anything or even take a drink ourselves because it's going, it's like kids grabbing it. It's like the mortgage grabs it. Give me some of that. And then, the, you know, the bills are grabbing it and the credit card's grabbing it and the school debt is pay, grabbing it and the, and the stuff for the kids' sports and the vacation expenses and the stereo system and all that stuff. And before long, it's gone. We've got to go to the bank and get ourselves some more water before we ever start. Go, to, go get another bottle of water. Instead of saying, I love, thank you for this blessing of water, all we can ever say, most of us, is I need more. And that's why we get uncomfortable when the preacher stands up to talk about stretching. God says, I want to stretch your faith. Start by trusting me with something off the top. He'll tell you how much. It might just be a little tip. God will be gracious. He's not going to drink the whole thing. But give him a stretch that shows you put him first. Some of you need to get excited about a whole other way of living your bottle. I mean, imagine you open your bottle and you give it to God out of sort of joy and appreciation. God takes a, 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 a small portion and then you can still pay all of your bills. Imagine what that would look like to have something left over at the bottom. And you look around the room and you see some of the guy who's trying to do everything right. He's trying to serve God and do things, but he's come on hard times and he can't pay his mortgage that month and he's in your group and you know it and you're like, I, you walk across the room and you pour some of your God water into his bottle and he's like, you're an answer to my prayer and you're like, no, you're an answer to my prayer and you both experience joy and something like what Jesus did when he came in the first place. And friends, that's, do you have any idea how fun it is? Some of you are like, nope. Because your bottle... Now, we're going to talk next week about some of the practicalities. Of what do we do when every ounce is already spoken for? God owns the whole thing and He gives it to us and our job is to dispense it in whatever way He leads us to. And, you know, God calls us to follow Him in a real way, not by just rote ritual, but with our lives. And friends, spiritual authenticity is not that hard to see in a person's life. If you want to know a person's faith is real, you don't pay attention to what they say, you pay attention to what they do. God knows that more than anyone. And the best barometer for your spiritual authenticity is what, not what people say they believe, but what they do because of what they actually do believe. So if you're an old person or a young person or a kid, this applies to all of us. You've all got a bottle. might be different sizes, it, it, it might be different shapes. You might have a lot of money. You might not have very much money at all. But what God asks us to do is pop the top and say, Lord, bless you. Cover our expenses and have something less to give someone else. And you know, there's one who came and, and did this. Who poured out everything. And you know who I'm talking about.
He didn't hold back. His name is Jesus, and he says, follow me. That's how you'll find your best life. Let's pray. Lord, we want to lay it all down to you now. Our lives, our pride, our barriers, our resistance, our defenses, our money, our families, our fears. We want to lay it all down to you now, Lord. Soften us and help us to give our whole heart to you so that first fruit giving of money and stuff is not so hard for us. Stretch us so that we can become more like Jesus who gave it all, who, though rich, became poor, so that we, as poor, might become rich. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.